Welcome to the Melanin Wellness Podcast, the place for all things black and POC wellness. Here on the podcast, my guests and I discuss all the most relevant issues that affect our mental health, lifestyles, careers, and our communities. And we give tips and strategies to help you on your overall journey to wellness. I'm your host, Karina Dunn. This episode is about the mental health barriers and disparities that Black and POC face in their communities. My guest and I will discuss mental health topics such as stigma, lack of access to counselors and therapists, and the lack of trust in institutions. And you may want to stay till the end because you won't want to miss any of the resources and advice from our mental health expert. You can support the podcast by sharing it on social media, leaving it a five-star review, or DMing me questions or comments about this episode. And to stay up to date with the latest from the show, go to my website, themelaninwellnesspodcast.com, and join my mailing list. And without further ado, let's go. Welcome back, family, to another episode of the Melanin Wellness Podcast. I am so happy to have you here as usual, but today on the show is the person on the show is no stranger to the show. You all, I absolutely love her. And I'm so glad that she was gracious enough to come back and give us more wisdom in the topic of mental health. Today, we're going to be discussing the mental health disparities and barriers in the Black and people of color communities and how that affects us overall. We're going to take a deep dive into the stigma that's often associated with mental health, the lack of access that many have experienced, and also the lack of trust. And then we're going to get into some resources and how you can find support if you you or someone you love is in need of that. But before we get into that, y'all know how we do over here. We always begin the show with 30 seconds of gratitude. And I always allow my guests to go first. Danielle. Hi. First of all, I'm so glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am today, I am very grateful for wisdom. And um, just having a sense of clarity in my life at this point, that's really where my gratitude stems from for today. And I'm just grateful to be here and to see you. Oh, I appreciate you. I too am grateful to see you. I am grateful for all the support that you gave to me when I lost my grandmother last fall. It was a very, very difficult time for me, y'all. And I just appreciate the friendship and that olive branch that even though she lives several, several, several states away, (laughs) but she still remained in contact with me and checked on me. And and I appreciate that so very much. I appreciate the support that I had um, Mm -hmm. during that time and and during my healing period, Mm -hmm. you know, I obviously am am not over it. I'll never get over it, but I am so grateful for the support that I've gotten and the space and the grace I was given to do the healing. Um, I am, I am, and I'm just grateful for the space, the mental space I'm in right now, because six months ago, it was very, very different. I was very different. Y'all know that was probably more than 30 seconds, but (laughs) whatever. (laughs) You can never be grateful enough, y'all. You can never be grateful enough. When you are practicing gratitude, it will change your life. Yes, it will. It changes your vibrations. It changes everything when you really sit back and take a look at what you have Mm -hmm. more so than what you don't have, right? All right. So let me introduce our guest today. Our guest today is, again, no stranger to the show. She is a thriving licensed clinical social worker. She is the host of the Purple Butterfly Podcast. Y'all got to check that podcast out, right? Okay. (laughs) She's the author of two books centered around self-care. We're going to hear all about those. And she is also a speaker. She's always speaking and spreading the word and the knowledge and dropping gems about mental health and self-care in the Black community. And we so appreciate her being a beacon of light for that. Welcome to the show with me, Miss Danielle Turner. Welcome back, Danielle. You You are so welcome. Thank you so much. So tell me a little bit, me and the audience, a little bit about what you've been into since your last appearance on the Melanin Wellness Podcast. Goodness. (laughs) 
should be like, what haven't I been into? Right. <laughs> That's a lot of growth. My mental health uh, practice has grown into a group practice. So I now have other therapists of color working for me, seeing individuals in the community just so that there's more access to mental health services mm. for our people of color. Um, Cause the area that we we're in is, is it's a area mostly of color. Um, so it was just too much for just me by myself. And so I needed to bring on other staff to come in and, you know, work with individuals. They are also, so I am a licensed clinical social worker and they are licensed master social workers. So they're working towards becoming clinical social workers. And so I'm also feeling like, because I have to supervise them and, you know, help them get to that status. I'm also helping the community because I am helping some other amazing therapists be out here doing their thing. Right. So, you know, I just been giving back to the community, doing a lot of speaking engagements and, um, you know, me and my self-care, that's my vibe. Yes. My self-care, I'm now working with women who are going through life transitions. So divorce, separations, grief, loss, empty nesters, you know, working with them on some coaching, group coaching services to, because at the end of the day, when we lose someone or we have a major life transition, sometimes we don't know who we are. You know, we're so busy taking care of everyone else. We forget who we are. And so now you have this transition and it's like, okay, now what do I do? I don't know what I like. I don't know what I dislike. I don't know what to do. And so, you know, my goal is to really help those women who are really struggling to like find their essence and figure out who they are, get to that space where they can move through that life transition a little bit better because I've been there. Transitions are hard. Uh, agreed agreed transitions are very hard and and you'd be surprised at how much those transitions change you Uh you become someone different and when I lost my grandmother I have become someone different I am a completely different person than I was a year ago and so I can definitely attest to what you are saying and those difficulties so can you tell the audience a bit about why mental health like why did you choose to go into the field of mental health because I have been that woman who Mm. went through a major life transition and lost myself um I've had my own mental health challenges with depression and anxiety and suicide and um, and so I needed to be able to have a space where I could help other women and people of color, but specifically women of color, be heard and seen and valued and understood. You know, when I was going through my mental health challenges, and, and I'm not saying that my therapists that I work with weren't good because they were, they helped me get to a better space. But it wasn't until I had that woman of color that I got to where I needed to be. And that's when I understood. And, you know, she gave it to me like it was. She didn't sugarcoat things. She just didn't sit there and say, okay, so how's that make you feel? Like, you know, I didn't have to explain certain things to her or jargon or the way I, you know, moved. And there was no, oh, your hair was short last week and now it's purple and long. (laughs) You know, there was no, I remember one therapist in particular, one thing about me is, is when, when I was going through that period or anytime, because I still challenge, have challenges with my anxiety specifically, I still can put myself together. So you would look at me and not know that I had just cried for 12 hours straight the night before. And so I would come in and I'm put together and, you know, my hair is done and my nails are done. And I'm, and they say to me, like, but you're saying you're depressed, but yet you were playing spades over the weekend or, you know, you were out at the, yes, I was doing all those things because that's what we do in community of color. And I had to show up regardless mm-hmm. of how I was feeling. And that was something that they just didn't understand. And so it was very important for me to have a space where people didn't have to hide or pretend or, you know, just feel unvalidated because I I really felt just 
that's the only word I can invalidate it a lot of times. You know, it's so funny that you said that because that was one of the things that I was definitely going to touch on. And, and since you brought that up, that is part of what causes the lack of institutional trust. Um, and that severely impacts the Black and people of color communities help-seeking activities because we often feel that if we go into a space that doesn't have someone that looks like us, we have to explain it. And I know I, I've had more than one therapist in the past and I've had a very similar experience and I felt it was almost re-traumatizing mm -hmm. in a lot of ways because I don't have time to be explaining to nobody what a big mama is. Okay. Hello. Like <laughs> I'm, I am here. I am in pain. I am missing my grandmother. I am feeling like the life has just been kicked out of me and I ain't got time to be explaining to you what that is. Exactly. You know, it, and, and, so can you touch on how that lack of institutional trust really creates a barrier? It really creates a barrier for us seeking help. Mm -hmm. I, I think it also, like you said, I don't want to explain who my big mama was or what that was, but it, it also is the idea of, I don't want to tell these people what's going on in my life because now they might call some other people. Right. And yes. so if I come into therapy with you and I say, oh, my goodness, I really want to molly whop my kid last night. You're not going to call child protection on me because, you know, that's not what I meant. Like, exactly. Right? But someone else might be. And now I have to one, explain what a molly whop is. First of exactly. all. Exactly. And now once I explain that now it's like, oh, wait, now she's abusing her kid. Mm. And so I feel like there's that lack of trust because. The other thing is we're told, don't tell nobody what's going on in this house. You don't talk about our business. You keep it to yourself. You just pray about it, right? And so because we've had those ideas placed in our head, then yeah, I'm not about to go in here and tell these people nothing. Mm -mm. Yeah, what- what That's what me in jail. Exactly. What happens in this house stays in this house is a staple mm -hmm. in the black community. Like you don't tell people your business, you know, what happens in our household, what goes on within the family stays within the family. And I think that sometimes that also creates a barrier for our help seeking activities. Would you like agree with that and expand on that a little bit more? Definitely. I definitely, it, it causes that lack of trust in other people. And what just popped in my mind while you were talking was a lot of times in, and maybe other uh, races, but I, I just know the black community because that's, mm -hmm. that's what I am. Um, a lot of times you go to dinner and the person who's abusing you is sitting at the end of the table. And so, no, Ugh. I'm not going to say anything because I already told you, you blamed it on me. You said I was being fast or I shouldn't have been walking mm -hmm. around with shorts on or whatever it is you think I was doing. And so, and you still allowed this person to come back into this home. Mm -hmm. So, no, I'm not going to go. If I can't trust the people I live with, then why do I feel that I should be able to trust somebody else that I have that stranger danger? Mm -hmm. have no connection to whatsoever and so we keep things inside and we're always re-traumatized because yeah. you know nothing gets done or you know oh that's just cousin so-and-so he always talking to himself he's fine no there's something wrong with cousin so-and-so and no one wants to address it or say he needs any help we just pass it off that he just you know he just like to walk around talking to himself he he just like to sleep outside and we don't do anything about it. Right. And so as a a kid growing up and I'm seeing this, then I'm being reinforced to not talk about what's happening in this house, that I can't feel safe in this house. I can't feel safe to talk to the people that I should be trusting. So I'm definitely not going to now go out here and talk to somebody, especially someone that doesn't look like me. Right. And now... It's funny because I have family members who they know that they need to seek help, mm -hmm. but it goes back to that very same thing that you were just speaking on 
um, I'm not going to tell nobody my business when, and I, my response was, that's a therapist. <laughs> like they don't know nobody, you know, and even if they do, they can't say anything. So how, I, I guess I'm wondering how can we get out of that mindset that we're telling someone our business, because that you're not telling anybody your business, you're seeking help so that you can be happy, healthy, and whole. So how can we start to change that narrative so that people don't feel like they're telling somebody their business? Mm -hmm. Educating. Yeah. Educating and advocating and, and sometimes we don't even know we're depressed because we don't even know what that is. Mm. So this is what I saw my mother doing and I'm supposed to be a strong black woman. So I can't cry. I can't be upset. I can't, you know, be vulnerable. And so I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to feel this way. I don't right. know anything different. And so even just learning what being depressed is, what anxiety looks like is a starting point. Um, learning, educating about medications and mindfulness and, you know, meditation and yoga, you know, up until the most recent years, how many black people did you really see doing yoga? None. None, none or acupuncture or any of those things. And so I feel it really starts with just advocating Mm. And allowing people to know that there are safe spaces where you can come and not be judged. Because I think that has a lot to do with it too. Mm. You know, and, and you can let your guard down and you don't have to have an ego and you can just learn and grow and heal. But with that being said, you also have to be ready to heal. And I don't know that we're always ready to heal because we're right. so used to being this way. Mm -hmm. That we don't know what the other side looks like, and that side is scary. And you know, it's funny that you bring up yoga and meditation and mindfulness because that was one of the reasons that I became a yoga and mindfulness coach. Is because I went into spaces, I knew the benefits of it, and I knew from just my own self practice. However, there was not a safe space for someone who looked like me, and. I remember being so uncomfortable in those spaces and I knew that I had to do something different so that I didn't have to miss out and a whole demographic of folks that need that, that healing, that holistic healing didn't have to miss out. And that's one of the reasons why I became a yoga and mindfulness coach, because listen, yoga and mindfulness, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> It'll get you through some things. <laughs> so 13.4 of the U.S. population identifies as Black or African American. But of those, over 16% report having a mental illness in the past year. Yet there is such a huge stigma behind it in our communities. So aside from the don't tell anybody your business, why do you think that there's such a huge stigma? Because we are some of the most traumatized people because of slavery and police brutality and socioeconomic issues. Why do you think that there is such a stigma behind something that we really desperately need? I don't think anyone ever told us that we could have it. Mm. We've been uh, taken, so many things have been taken away from us. Yes. That I really don't think anyone has ever really said, like, it's okay. That you don't have to be strong. You don't have to be resilient. It's okay to talk about what's going on in your life. It's okay to get help. Um, and I feel like because no one has ever really said that to us as a whole community, then there's that stigma. You know, it's it's really sad and it's tragic that so many of us need this. But then there is that stigma or, of uh, somebody saying, oh, because you may have anxiety or you may be depressed that you're crazy. Mm -hmm. And I hate that word. I positively hate that word because I don't feel, I feel like if you don't have some issues, you are crazy. 
I'm gonna <laughs> just be honest with you because when we wake up every day and step across the thresholds of our homes and to go outside, there is an instant armor that we feel like we must put on in order to survive outside mm-hmm. of our homes. And if you don't have some issues, mm-hmm. now that's crazy. It <laughs> really, because it, it, it's impossible to not be traumatized. It's one of the reasons why I no longer watch the news because it was creating a mental health crisis for me. It was so traumatizing the things that I was witnessing. I I read my news. I know what's going on in the world and I I choose to read it. So I don't have to listen to the spin of the media. I don't have to listen to other people's opinions. I just want to read it and digest it. Um, And that's traumatizing enough. How can we deal with the traumas that we are, are are faced with, bombarded with on a daily basis. A daily basis, we're being bombarded with trauma. Nobody has to be smacking you upside your head, mm-hmm. you know, for it to be a traumatic situation for you. So how, how would you tell somebody how we deal with that? Just what you said. Um, stop watching the news so much. Mm-hmm. You know, even social media, take a break from social media sometimes. The thing is that right now in the world we live in, everything is accessible at our fingertips. And so we're seeing things happen in real time. When I was growing up, you didn't really hear about all the things that were happening. They were still happening. But you didn't hear about it. And at seven o'clock, Dan Rathers came on. He told you what he told you. And you went on about your day. Now it's 24-7. Mm-hmm. You can watch the news. Mm-hmm. Click on your computer. The first thing my MSNBC whatever screen is all these little tab little boxes of all these things that are happening in the world. Yes, it's like you can't get away from it. The news, ninety nine percent of the stories are negative stories. Yes, you might have thirty seconds of a positive little clip per yeah. day, right? And so if we're can like you said bombarding ourselves with this information and all this negativity, then it's really hard to like not be traumatized. It's yes. like we're almost re-traumatizing ourselves every 30 minutes that the news comes on. Honestly. Yes. And, and if you're already struggling with a mental health, a possibly undiagnosed mental health issue, and, and sometimes it's not even undiagnosed. Sometimes there are our are, are life events that occur that -hmm. will trigger Mm -hmm. a a psychological or physiological response Mm -hmm. to what you're dealing with. And it creates a mental health crisis. And if you are having a moment like that, then taking in all that negativity just compounds that issue. And so is that one of the things that often leads to people self-medicating? Definitely. Yes, definitely. That negativity just the the traumas of the day. Like you said, every time we walk out the door, we basically have to be someone else to fit into what society thinks that we should fit into. Mm-hmm. And now we can't even really fit into that box that they put us in either because now we have these Karens running around, right? We have this police brutality. We have all these things happening. So we can't even fit into that box anymore, really. And so it's kind of like, well, what else do you do but numb yourself? Right. Right. And because you just get almost desensitized at some point. It's to the point now, even for myself, I'm like, oh, another shooting. And you just keep going on about your day. Back in 1999, when Columbine happened, right, or Sandy Mm -hmm. Hook happened 10, 12 years ago. Oh, my God, it was the worst thing ever. Now it's just like, oh, okay, well, another school got shot up today. Another another black man got killed by the police and you just keep going on about your day as if it's almost our norm now. Yeah, yeah. And so what else are you going to do? You're going to self-medicate drugs, alcohol, maybe shopping, some kind of addiction, you know, just isolating yourself. It's almost as if what else is there to do? Because again, no one has said to you, it's okay to go to therapy. It's okay to get help. It's okay to do yoga and to meditate and to be mindful. 
if no one ever told you that, you're going to do what you see. And generationally, what do you see? Friday night, everybody coming over to play spades and drink. Yep. Right? Saturday, they're going to go down to the club or the little juke joint or whatever you want to call it. Right? Mm-hmm. Sunday, we're going to get up and we're going to go to church and we're going to pray about it. But then we're going to come home and mom and dad are fighting and arguing. And then we're going to have dinner. And this person that's been abusing me is coming to dinner. And here we go. Now it's Monday. And we write back to the same same cycle over and over again. And it seems almost as though it is a historical re-traumatization over and over and over again. Because, you know, the scene that you just painted was the scene of my childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the fighting, the, the the domestic abuse that I witnessed. And then there was the drinking and the smoking. And then there was everybody gets together and has a party, like everything is okay. And then, you know, everybody goes out, gets all dressed up to the nines and puts on their club clothes and they go to the club on Saturday and they stay out all night. And then, but they still get up, get dressed and go to church drunk sometimes. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I'm surprised the church ain't burned down, y'all. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Go to church, come home, have Sunday dinner, sleep the majority of the day away. And, and, and that traumatization begins all over. And it's the same cycle. And trying to break those cycles sometimes, especially when you are the generational curse breaker, mm-hmm. nobody understands. Right. Nobody understands. And it's hard. It is hard because things like yoga, mindfulness, um, meditation, they have historically been equated with white people or Asian people. Black people typically did not do those things. And so, again, we've been made to feel unwelcome as though it doesn't belong to us. But I want everybody to understand the thing about yoga, meditation, and mindfulness is that that is not the core of what it is about. It is about unity. It is for everyone. It is to bring peace and harmony. And we as a people, we need that more now than we ever have. And I am, but I am loving the movement that I am seeing with our people moving towards that healing and saying, you know what? I am not all together and I'm not going to pretend like I am. I remember putting up a post a few months ago. And I said, prior to losing my grandmother, I was always, always on point, always organized. Nothing was out of place. Everything was very succinct. Mm -hmm. And when I lost her, everything became a free fall. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn to be okay with it. That was one of the things that I thank God for my therapist, Mm -hmm. because she was like, you got to be okay with that. She said, you got to let that go. She said, because that, ain't, first of all, that wasn't normal before. <laughs> she said, a little messy in there somewhere. Exactly. She said, that wasn't normal before you lost your grandmother. So you need to do a little soul searching on why you was like that before. And she said, and it's certainly not normal now. She said, you have lost the most important person mm-hmm. in the world to you. Mm-hmm. And if you were able to walk around and still be that almost like a Stepford wife type of personality, everything is all good. You in there vacuuming and cooking four course meals, like ain't nothing happened. She said, we got a bigger problem. Yes, 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 we did. Yes, we were. (laughs) And I think oftentimes in our community, those signs are missed simply because like you said, we have to put on this face and we go out and yeah, I can go to the mall, go shopping. I can go to my baby's football games, dance rehearsals, all of that. And I'm still in my car having an absolute mm-hmm. nervous breakdown. Touch on ways that a person can deal with that. Because the thing about uh, that I discovered is that when we continuously try to compartmentalize those things and don't deal with it, it deals with us. Yes. And it ain't pretty when it comes out. At all. So talk to us about a few techniques that you help your clients with, just small things that you use with them to say, okay, you feel it coming, recognize when it's coming, Mm -hmm. and then do this. Mm -hmm. 
that's the key is recognize when it's coming. Mm. So knowing like the early warning signs, no other things that are going to trigger you is the first thing I always say. So I am very big on what I call like pre-gaming, right? So let's say going to the uh, grocery store gives me anxiety, but I have to go to the grocery store because that's what we we need to do. I'm not going to go at the first of the month. I'm probably not going to go at like 5 p.m. after everybody's rushing home from work, right? I'm maybe going to go at like 10 to 2-ish. I'm going to have a list so I know what I need. And I'm going to be able to go in, get what I need and come out, right? So I'm not going to give put myself in a situation that's going to cause me more anxiety, mm. right? If I don't like fireworks, right? And my mate has some people, why would I go to the fireworks show on 4th of July, right? Right. So, But we do things like that to ourselves. So you have to know what your triggers are. You have to know those early warning signs. And then you have to pre-game some things and put some things in place before they start. So that when they do start to happen, you could be like, oh, pause, wait a minute. You know, it's almost like a little meter. I'm at number seven. I need to figure out what I need to do to get down to number one, two, or zero. So on the warning signs, kind of pre-gaming the things that are going to cause you the most anxiety. And really, it boils down to really just taking care of yourself at the end of the day. Now, isn't that an ultimate act of self-love when you are so in tune with yourself that you know, all right, this is going to cause me, a certain song is going to cause Mm -hmm. this reaction that I cannot control. Mm -hmm. And I'm, so I'm going to avoid this specific place because I know they play that song all the time. Isn't that an ultimate act of self-love and self-care when you recognize those signs and you are proactive about taking care of yourself because I don't think people understand what anxiety does to your nervous system. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you are taking care of yourself, because sometimes we can't avoid certain things. Mm. So I may be riding in the car with you and I can't control what you put on your radio. Right. So if I'm taking care of myself and I have some good coping skills in place, then I know that if that song comes on, then guess what? Maybe I need to start doing some deep breathing. Maybe mm-hmm. I need to close my eyes and kind of do some positive self-talking to myself. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to speak up and say, hey, sis, this song is really bothering me. Is it okay if we change the channel instead of sitting through it and then being more anchious? Right. That's just right. go off the whole flow of the, the, the car ride. Right, right. And somebody who loves you and supports you is definitely going to be understanding. And I think that that's a very key point to point out here is having that support system in place, whether it is a family member, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a friend, whether it's a support group, um, you want to have those support in place because those people really do care about your well-being. And so if somebody cares about your well-being and you're saying, hey, listen, I can't handle this right now. Uh, this is this is not working for me. They, without any questions asked, should 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 be like, all right, you know, we don't have to do this. We're going to show, show, you, show ourselves some grace and we're going to move on. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I do want to say and give you such a humongous shout out for helping to put a drop in the bucket to this next topic, the lack of access to services, Mm -hmm. because that has been a humongous barrier. And I know that for me, the area that I live in does not have a lot of Black therapists. And some people look at me crazy when I say this, but I thank God for COVID because if it wasn't for COVID, we would not have things like better help. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And virtual sessions mm-hmm. because uh, many therapists are able to now treat people in other states mm-hmm. and we're able to do it virtually. And I am so grateful for that because that opens up and expands exactly. the access to services. So, How many new faces do you have in your practice? So right now I have, there's a total of four. Uh, And another one is onboarding next month. So 
there'll be five amazing women of color. Oh, that is just awesome. Mm -hmm. That is just awesome. I love it because I'm be honest, I could, my therapist that I have right now, I found her through BetterHelp mm -hmm. and she is absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. She has helped me to get through some of the most difficult times that I've ever had. I, I sat on the phone, on the video chat with her and cried for an entire hour. Said no words. All I did was cried because I couldn't say words. But she held space for you. And that's what's yes. important. Sometimes you just need someone to just hold the space for me and tell me it's okay to cry. Because yes. I don't think that people tell us, especially as Black women, that it's okay to cry either. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to just suck it up, tough it up, and keep it moving. Get these kids together. Get out here to go to work. Do all these things. Sometimes you just need to cry. So Absolutely. I commend her for giving you that space to allow she, you to do that. She is so amazing. And she's taught me some of the most amazing coping skills mm -hmm. that I use frequently. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I have never, I had dealt with anxiety prior to losing my grandmother, but I had never in my life had an anxiety attack mm -hmm. until after I lost her. And I mean, a in the middle of the street, driving in an unfamiliar place, a full-blown panic attack. I could not breathe. I, and, and it doesn't, and it may sound a little theatrical, but it's not. Oh, no. I couldn't it's, breathe. No, I felt like I was going to die. Mm -hmm. I did. Real. Mm -hmm. I did. And I, I, I don't know what I would have done without her being there to guide me and help me to get through it. But that was the point when I knew I needed to see somebody. I was like, there's no way I can handle this on my own. I can't mm -hmm. do that. So what is something that a person should look for when they're looking for a good therapist? Give our audience some tips on finding that person for them. Be open-minded, one, and receptive. It is okay to ask for a consultation, ask questions. It's okay to ask, like, how long you've been doing this? Like, what exactly, what type of therapy do you perform? Because there's different, different modalities of therapy. Um, what are, what do you do when someone is having a panic attack? How do you help your clients work through those things? It's okay to ask those questions. Um, I think that's very important. It is okay to be vulnerable enough as well to say, I don't know about this. I've never done this before. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I don't know how this is going to work. Um, and so that that allows the therapist to then, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I want to not really guide you, but I guess make you feel more comfortable or help you get mm -hmm. to us where you're comfortable. Um, because a lot of times people come into therapy and they don't really know what to expect or they think that it's what you see on TV, which is somebody just laying on a couch and another person on, with a notepad just writing how, how, how that make you feel. Mm. Right? I ain't and, never laid on the couch ever in time. any of my therapy sessions. So I don't understand where that comes from. <laughs> <laughs> but on TV, everybody's always laid out on a couch somewhere. I don't get it, but I don't know. Maybe I need to try it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but just, you know, so rec understanding that what you see on TV is not necessarily what you're going to get. I am a firm believer that as a therapist, you need to be a person. And one of my biggest strengths is that I'm relatable. So a lot of the things my clients have been through, I've been through it too. You know, I, it's, they know that I'm a person. They know that I have struggles. They know that I have, you know, issues. They know that I, I you know, want to mollywop my kids sometimes. Like, <laughs> they know that I ate dinner. You know, I've been to therapist and I'm like, does this person even eat? Like, do they watch TV? Like, <laughs> like are they even human? And so, you know, finding someone that you can connect with, someone that's relatable, someone that you know is a human, I think is very, very important when you're looking for a therapist. And so is that one of the things that you, oh, so is that one of the things that you 
that that you feel like made you a better therapist is because you've walked in those shoes, you've dealt with those struggles. And so you take almost a personal touch in to your sessions. Yes. I am a firm believer. If I never potty train a puppy, I cannot tell you how to potty train a puppy. I have no idea what to do. None whatsoever. So I'm not going to, as a therapist, in in one thing, I'm not going to ever tell you what to do. That's not my job. But I can guide you, suggest, give you another way of thinking about things. Um, But I'm never going to make a suggestion to you that I haven't tried or that I know someone else has tried and it works. And what I don't know, we can figure it out together because I'm also not going to sit here and pretend like I know every single thing because I don't. I am very much about learning from my clients just as much as they learn from me. So it's an even exchange. And so there's times where clients have come in and said, oh, well, I went and did this this weekend. And I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to try that too because it's something that maybe I have never tried. Um, And so for me, that's what really gravitates my clients towards me and and makes my sessions with my clients really enjoyable. We cry together. We laugh together, you know, and I tell everyone therapy is going to be hard. We're not always going to have a good time. You're going to walk out this door. You're going to be like, "Mm, I don't like Danielle. And that's okay. I'll see you next week. (laughs) I'm okay with that. But next week when they come back, they always be like, yep, you were in my my mind. I heard your voice. You were on my shoulder. I remember what you said, you know, because I'm making it an enjoyable experience. And so when you're looking for a therapist, find someone that you can relate to. I couldn't agree with you more because, you know, therapy is a very intimate setting. Mm-hmm. And in order for you to really get out of it what you need, you definitely need to be with someone that you feel comfortable with. Like I, I, one of the things that I feel with my therapist, I feel like she's a girlfriend to me. Like, you know, she, the way that we talk and the way that we laugh and the way that I'm able to open up to her, that is one of the reasons why I'm getting so much out of therapy. But how do you as a therapist prevent that bleed over because now obviously she can't be my girlfriend because you know we we are you know that's an unethical we can't cross those boundaries and become besties that's not the way therapy works but how do you as a therapist prevent that bleed over because it can be very very difficult especially when you vibe in with somebody that tightly right it can be I think the key is recognizing that you have to be a human, but I'm also not going to sit here and tell you all my business either. Mm. Right. So you're going to know enough about me to know that when I leave work, I'm going to go home and eat something or I'm about to go binge watch this TV show. Um, You know, but I'm also not going to be like, Oh, when I get home, you know, me and my significant other, we're going to do X, Y, Z, you know? And so it's really like a fine line about how much you share and and each person is different and you have to, you know, share what you're comfortable with. Some therapists are not going to share anything at all with someone at all. Others might overshare. And mm-hmm. so you just have to fi- figure out what you're comfortable with and ethically what you feel is appropriate to share about yourself, whether that's nothing or something. Right. Um, myself. I don't mind sharing the basics of my life. You know, yep, I went out to eat or, you know, I saw that same movie or I've been watching this show too. You know, the area that I live in, I also work in the area too. So there's times where I see my clients while I'm out and about. So they know that I frequent the same places. We're mm-hmm. around ages. We do the same things. Um, you know, we have similar interests. So there's, it's nothing for me to go to the restaurant and down the street and see one of my clients in there as well. Do I go up and be like, hey, no, not at all. Like, you know, we definitely don't speak or make it seem like we know each other because of confidentiality, but they know that I have a life. And so I think that that's really important. And so, you know, like I said, just not oversharing, but also, you know, don't not ever share either. And that's right. just opinion. Right. So how do you, 
as the mental health professional, protect your mental health and your energy. Because one thing about therapy is it is heavy, not just for the client, but it's also heavy for the provider and like taking on other people's problems and absorbing that pain, that grief can be extremely heavy. I'm not a therapist, but I am a person who absorbs other people's Mm -hmm. emotions and pains. And so I cannot imagine how heavy that much must be for you as a mental health professional. How do you protect yourself and decompress and prevent yourself from becoming, from basically owning other people's shit? (laughs) All of that. Shit and then some shit. So, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I didn't know how else to say it. Never ending pile. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, just, he's dumping on top, right? So, <laughs> one thing, well, a couple of things. One is setting very firm boundaries around my work schedule. So, yes, I don't want anyone to be in crisis, but you can't just call me at any time you feel like it because you don't want to talk. Mm -hmm. or you're having an issue. That's why we're in therapy. So you can learn those coping skills that when you walk out of my office, you can then take those with you and use those outside of sessions. So being very clear because you will want to help everyone and okay, yeah, let me squeeze you in or it's your day off or okay, I'll just, you know, you come in. No, because I have to have a, a, a cutoff time because I have a family that I have to take care of too. And I have to take care of myself. Mm. And so I can't just be here just seeing clients all day whenever it's convenient for them. So really having a set schedule, sticking to that schedule as much as possible. Yes, there are going to be times where you might have to squeeze somebody in for something, but don't make that the the norm. Taking vacations, you know, taking time. I'm very big on listening to my body. So if I need a day off, then guess what? I'm canceling everybody and I'm taking that day because I am a firm believer that the most expensive Uber ride you will ever have is an ambulance because the insurance does not want to pay for that. Why that wagon with them lights is so expensive? I have no idea. <laughs> and it literally is <laughs> less than a mile down the street and you're right. A good thousand bucks, right? So yes, to prevent that bill, And when my body says sit down and rest or get some sleep or just have a day to yourself, then that's what I do. I'm very big on my self-care and just even throughout the day, doing little things throughout the day just to take care of myself. So I'm drinking my water, you know, I might throw on some music in between a client, Um, getting outside, you know, if I can, even if it's just to go stand outside for a few minutes to soak up some sun and come back inside. So doing all those little things throughout the day to take care of myself, you know, making sure that I take my breaks and that I eat my lunch um, is very important for me. And then just being able to have a life outside of work. So spending time with my friends and my family, you know, my significant other, and just doing the things that I enjoy is the... Those are the ways that I don't just let that pile of shit just keep piling. Mm. And I've I've learned, I've been doing this for uh, 20 years at this point. You know, I've learned that at the end of the day, I can do my best from the time I'm at work until the time I leave work. And then I have to let it go. Because mm. if I am at home worrying about you, then I can't get what I need done. And guess what? Nobody is at home worrying about me. For sure. Exactly. Exactly. So, oh my goodness. I cut it off. I get in my car. I turn on some Cardi B or some real. <laughs> <laughs> and I just go home and that's it. And I just let it be. And I, again, I don't answer phone calls after hours. Um, I try not to return text messages until the next day. I'm not going to do any emails to anybody until I'm in the office. Like I'm very firm with my my office hours and my my schedule. I I love all of that. I love all of that, and I think that no matter what field of of, of work that you've chosen, I think that all of those, you know, are 
very valuable tips because and and I don't think something you touched on about you take your vacations. Y'all, vacation is self-care. It is literally for your mental health. It is a mental health break. Exactly. And so to so to take care of yourself and your mental health, taking a vacation from the norm mm-hmm. is absolutely critical. I a matter of fact, I have an episode that's going that's probably already released by the time this releases where I talk about vacations and how important it is because people think vacation is just for aesthetics and to show right. off, but no, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not. It, mm-hmm. it it really isn't. And it is such an act of self love. Even self- a vacation. You don't even necessarily have to mm-hmm. go there. Just not going to work and doing things around the house or just relaxing or day trips. Just that in itself is a vacation sometimes. Yes, it is. Now, I want you to, number one, I want you to talk a little bit about your books. I want to hear more about your books that you have written, the journals, the workbooks Mm -hmm. that are centered around self-care. Tell our audience a little bit more about those. So I'm very big on self-reflecting and journaling. Um, Try to meditate. I'm a little (laughs) on that one. I got, I got some, uh, I got some new. I'm going. Um, did I need to teach you about meditation? Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> need... it, trust me, it ain't for everybody. Yes. Not the traditional version. Okay, I'm gonna need some help <laughs> on that one. <laughs> and so I just decided, you know, I'm going to kind of put those same things that I self reflect on in a book. And so mm-hmm. I created the Ultimate Interview Self Care Workbook. And so it's a 60-day workbook just to kind of get you started on your self-care journey. And then because I'm very big on the morning, my morning routine, I tend to get a lot of things done in the morning before work. Um, I did the ultimate morning mindset journal. So which is really about setting our intentions for the day. Because how you start your day is typically how your day is going to end. Mm-hmm. Start it in a good note. Even if something pops up in there, you're better able to handle it than if you just, you know, left the house in in a tizzy in a in a negative mindset. So that journal in particular is for like your morning time and being able to set your intentions, self reflect. What are your goals for the day? What is your self care for the day going to look like? Uh, affirming yourself because I'm very big on affirming yourself. What do you, you know, your gratitude, what are you grateful for um, every day? And so that's also a 60 day just to kind of get you started and then you can take it from there and run with it. So, and oh, that's awesome. those are, yeah, on Amazon. Oh, oh, that is awesome. That's awesome. We will have those books linked in the show notes so that you can go and click and purchase those. Now, can you share with the audience some tips from a mental health professional on how they can find support if they find themselves in a space and they're like, hey, you know what? I know that I need to get some help. Where, like, how can they find support? Where do they start? What are some some resources you would point them to? So there's a new national crisis line. So if you're feeling unsafe, if you're in crisis, you can just dial 988, 24-7 crisis counselors, therapists are on staff to talk with you. There's also for individuals who don't like to actually talk because a lot of people want to text nowadays. There's a text line, which is 741741. So you can text a counselor, crisis counselor in that moment. If you are really unsafe, 911, get to an emergency room, um, definitely. If you feel that you are at a space where you're just looking to do some therapy, there's psychologytoday.com. You can filter in your insurance, like your zip code. You can filter in if you want a woman, if you want a person of color, it'll pop up all the therapists in your area. There's the um, Therapy for Black Girls directory. And there's a therapy for black men directory as well with each state, the, the therapists of color are listed on there. Your health insurance 
has a directory as well. I know a lot of insurances have an online directory. Some insurances, probably depending on your plan, might have like a case manager um, who can actually do some calling for you to see if they can find you someone and do the outreach for you as well. So that could also be an option. Your friends, I mean, just ask. Girl, you in therapy? Who you <laughs> Like, I know you need to be in therapy. <laughs> Word of mouth, you know, just asking Google. You know, a lot of my clients come from Google because they just search mental health therapists near me. Mm-hmm. Um, is is a really good place to start as well. So the the resources are out there. Um, you got to do a little bit of work. Unfortunately, it's you know with with COVID, it's been a very uptake in clients. So you might have to do a little work, do a little bit of calling around to find someone. Um, but those those are the places that you really could start. Word of mouth is really that in Google, honestly. Those are awesome tips. Do you think that, like, I just heard you say that there's been an uptick in, in you know, requests for services since COVID. Do you think that that's largely in part due to the isolation that many of us experience? Because, I, you know, I've read studies that that isolation really began to trigger um, anxieties and depressions from folks. I do. Prior to COVID, everything was go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. And so you didn't really have time to sit down and think about your life or have to really deal with these kids or deal with your significant other. You were able to get up and go see your friends. You could go out. I mean, here in Connecticut, things are closing at five o'clock. Where, where are you going? No restaurants were open. Yeah. You know, you you couldn't even go to like visit people really because no one wanted you to come into their house. Movies were closed. All the things that we typically do, everything was shut down. Yeah. And so it gave us a lot of time to just be home and to think and to reflect. And guess what? A lot of things came up for people mm-hmm. that have been buried and kind of stuffed down for all those years. Because when you're always on the go, you're not thinking about things that have happened to you. You're not really thinking about world events. Now we're we're panicking because one, we don't know what COVID is. You're worried are you gonna die? You're worried about if your family member get it or you know, someone mm-hmm. that you love. And so now that's gonna cause you some anxiety. You're home with the kids, you're trying to homeschool them, you're not a teacher, you have no idea what you're doing. You became the teacher, the doctor, the the maid, the, the like you became everything, the chef. Yes. Right. Like now you got to fix everything in the house because you can't get a repair person to come. Like, so you just became all these things that's going to cause you to be a little anxious or a little depressed because your normal routine has just been swiped away from you. There was there was no graduating it gradually. It was just like, okay, on Monday, like Friday, (laughs) on Monday, everything shutting down at five. Yep. Nobody go to work. You know, and so, like, hello, like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with these kids? Right, like, right. And so, listen, I- Dunn University, Dunn University was terrible. Okay, I like listen. I told the kids, I said, listen, this is not an accredited school, so I don't know what to tell y'all about y'all credits because <laughs> this university is not accredited. Okay. It was absolutely, I was IT. I was a math teacher, a science teacher, English teacher, a history teacher, a gym teacher. Like it was, it was so overwhelming. It really was. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of anxiety about it. I had more anxiety about, you know, my loved ones and like my grandmother being well and making sure she didn't get COVID or Mm -hmm. the kids or my husband. I wasn't so much worried about, you know, the rest of that because you know like I had you know I've been I had been a stay-at-home mom for a long time even though I have you know degrees in IT and I've worked in IT but you know that was the choice that we had made just prior to mm-hmm. you know COVID hitting so I was kind of used to being with the kids but listen that university was no good though I'm gonna say <laughs> don't don't uh, look for their college degree from Dunn University. <laughs> please don't. Please don't. Well, you can achieve anything you want, just not at Dunn University, okay? 
<laughs> we had a fake graduation and everything. And I said that to them. I said, you can achieve whatever you want. Just not here. Please don't come back next year. It's closed. Okay. It's defunct. Tuition. You don't even got to pay for this. You don't have to. I mean, it was absolute shenanigans. My kids would say the craziest stuff. They'll be in the bed and I'm like, all right, it's time to get up for class. And they're talking about something. Ain't it a two hour delay? Boy, if you don't understand, <laughs> like what? It, it was, it was, it was a fun time, but it, it definitely did play a huge role in the mental health of a lot of people. You know, we can joke about it now, but it definitely mm-hmm. did, and I know that it affected the children mm-hmm. um, significantly. It really did them not being able to have that social piece. Exactly, and and so like how. Like, what does the landscape of your business, like your coaching services and your mental health practice, like what does the landscape look like for for interview clinical services? I want to say in the next three to five years, what are you looking to do? Definitely expand. So right now we primarily work with adults, 18 mm-hmm. and older. Okay. Um, definitely expanding to work with more children. We have some children, but not too many. Mm doing more family work as well because that's important too just mm-hmm. the family as a whole and more group because there's something to be said about group work a lot of people will be like oh i don't want to be in a group i don't want to tell again i don't want to tell everybody my business um but there's there's a lot of effective work that can be done in a group setting and so when people are receptive and open-minded to it you can actually get a lot of work done um, so just incorporating more groups into the practice and working with more children into the practice as well over the next couple of years. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that because I know that I have two children who um, are on the autism spectrum and, you know, trying to, when they lost their great grandmother, you know, it they had never experienced death up close. Mm-hmm. And so what it did to them, it just, it like, I couldn't hold them up. You know, I was drowning myself right. and trying to find therapists for them was an uphill battle. It really was because oftentimes there are not a lot of therapists for uh, children, period, mm-hmm. let alone children of color. And my children want some wanted someone of color because they wanted someone that they felt like that they could relate to that would more closely understand them. So that is awesome to hear that you are looking to add that And group therapy. If you can handle it, group therapy is, is good. I know when I attempted it, I couldn't handle it. It was too much. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was very new in my grief and I felt like I was taking everybody else's grief and absorbing it in addition to my own and, it, it was like a tailspin. So it, it didn't work for me and group isn't for everybody, but exactly. there, but there is something to be said about that level of support because exactly. knowing that you're not alone exactly. and that somebody else is suffering and feeling the exact same things that I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. So I'm not out of my mind with right. what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah. yes. So do you want to share a little bit about your coaching services with the audience and share with them how they can reach out to you if they would like to get into, you know, those coaching services, because there are a lot of transitions taking place mm-hmm. in, in women's lives and in, in, in families, just period. So tell yeah. them how they can get in touch with you. So I, I, I started that because a lot of my clients, again, were middle-aged women of color. Mm-hmm. Who were divorcing, separating. The kids are going off to college. They've lost a loved one. Maybe they were a caretaker for a parent or an elderly, you know, family member that's no longer here. And again, just not learn knowing how to navigate that transition mm-hmm. because they've just been so focused on everyone else except for themselves. Yes. Um, and when, especially with divorce, it is such a trying time. There's so many worries and anxieties and things that people don't think about, like changing your name or who about to cut mm. this grass? Who is shoveling this? <laughs> like, 
you don't think about those things until like that partner is gone and then you like yeah. I don't know how to turn this lawnmower on I have no idea what to do you know yeah. and so like all those little things we don't think about when we think about divorce um I've been divorced for at least 17 years at this point mm. I still get mail in my married name Pay uh yeah, PayPal won't let me change my name to save my life. I don't understand. <laughs> I'm like PayPal can be I'm, difficult. I'm okay. For 17 years. I, I I don't understand why I can't change my name. So if I ever PayPal you, it's not gonna say Turner on it. And I just <laughs> I refuse. They're like, send us your divorce papers. And I'm like, why would I send that to you, PayPal? That doesn't make any sense. So okay, PayPal. Not. So yeah, my PayPal name is not Daniel Turner, just so everyone knows. <laughs> You know, and so it would be like, I'd call to say, I want to change my name. And they'd say, oh, congratulations, because they assume you're getting married. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's all those little things that we really don't think about when you're going through, even with a loss. Right. Now you have to go through probate court. You have to navigate that whole system. You have to figure out what you're doing with your loved one's things, you know, all of that is just, it's a lot mm -hmm. to handle, but you still have to be able to take care of yourself through that process. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, then you can't take care of all these other things that you need to do. Um, and so that's really where it came from, like taking my experience and all the little things that I had to deal with to help other women not have to struggle as much as I did is really where it's coming from just wanting to be able to help other women figure out who they are move through this transition as best as they can you know have a the most best positive mindset that they possibly can through the difficult challenges um and really learn how to take care of themselves and prioritize themselves honestly so, so would they be able to um, get a consultation with you via your website if they wanted, were interested in coaching services? Definitely. Yep. So my website is www.interullc.com. Um, and you can go on it. The, the top, it says book a consultation. So you can definitely go on there, book a consultation, click you over to my calendar, um, email as well. So Danielle Turner at interullc.com as well is a way to get in contact with me too. So Danielle, thank you so much for coming on the show again. I appreciate you. I appreciate this conversation. Danielle Turner, everybody. Thank you all so very much for listening and tuning in and rocking with me every single week, y'all. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, share it on social media or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find all the details, the links, and the resources that we discussed in this episode in the show notes. And to catch all the latest from the show, you can go to the website, www.themelaninwellnesspodcast.com and join my mailing list. We always got something going on over there, y'all. Thank you again, and I will see you next time, family. Until then, be well. <laughs>